Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, the podcast where we talk about ministry and community and faithfulness here in Portland, Oregon. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And we're here today with a very special guest, uh, somebody that brought a lot of us together uh, mm-hmm. some time ago, a guy named David Brewer. Thanks for being on, David. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks. David came all the way from Midwest, from Indiana, to be with us this morning. That's right. right. You came specifically for this podcast. <laughs> yes, appreciate you picking up my expenses, guys. <laughs> sure thing. That's, um, that's on Josh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, no, we, we were just talking, um, you know, like David, you've definitely been instrumental in, in my own life, but definitely the coming together, the bringing together. I remember when Libby and I were first kind of reintroduced uh, we, of course, went to college together, but it had been 10 years, and it was at the ministry gathering, you know, that you initially kind of facilitated. Right. God laid on your heart a number of years ago to bring the churches together in North Portland to, for a common purpose, for a common goal, and just that reality that we can we can do more together than we can mm-hmm. by ourselves. Right. Um, but we, we've been talking, um, you know, about this, of course, this theme of unsuccess, mm-hmm. and um, you know, David, you and I were just sharing a little bit about language and about success, how we have, uh, it, it, there's a lot of baggage there and we hold right. on to it. And this idea of success really is a Western, a Western mindset mentality. Mm-hmm. It's a capitalistic mentality. Um, and we, we want to be successful. And so even we're talking about metrics a little bit, mm-hmm. um, the language that the words that I hear often is like, no, let's redefine success. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, the trigger went off, and, and you were there at the, my installation service last year when um, when I was installed as lead pastor and my dad kind of stepped down and became my assistant. And that, I said something pretty bold. I said, my dad has not been successful. Right. Um, and in that moment, that I think that there was a shift in my paradigm to, to realize man, it's not about success. And I've talked to countless people since then and told them that story. And they're like, no, I would argue that your dad has been successful because the metrics of, you know, faithfulness and obedience. But like, but no, we're still holding on to this idea of success. And I don't think that that is a Christ-like character um, or characteristic, um, this idea of success. So so speak to that a little bit. Right. David. Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things in there. Um, uh, the idea that, so in redefining success, what we're trying to do is uh, create a metric or a standard that we can then substitute for other metrics that we don't like as much, mm-hmm. right? So if the metric in a church, uh, the standard metrics in church are how many people did you baptize, how many conversions did you have, what's your attendance running? Mm-hmm. And we say, well, we don't like that. Instead, what we say then is, well, we're engaging our community, and we're uh, we're being faithful in serving. We're we're doing things, and but essentially, what we're doing is we're still accepting the fact that success is the success is the right thing to aim for. Yeah. It's just how we get there is different. We still want to um, measure up, right? We still want to measure up. We're still trying to apply metrics, um, and I mean, you said that's a very that's a very Western thing. Um, there's, there's, uh, I think a steady stream of that in the East as well, but what success means is a very community oriented, um, uh, approach as opposed to an individual metric. Mm. Uh, and by community, I don't just mean, uh, one local, 
family or one local congregation, but the whole community. It's a it's a very broad based concept uh, of approaching it. But I think I think as soon as you start to apply metrics <coughs> of any kind, it creates a challenge. You know, my uh, my doctorate is organizational leadership, so people always assume that I'm going to speak about. Um, how to grow your organization and how to make it more effective and mm-hmm. and these kinds of things and I think over the past probably five ten years I've really come to realize that I'm in some ways I'm the anti organization organizational leadership guy um, <laughs> because I think especially when it concerns uh, something that um, something like a ministry or a nonprofit, uh, somebody somebody whose goal really should be to serve and to and to live together, to live with. Um, I mean, how do you how do you measure that? And I think uh, I think there's a challenge because as soon as you start talking about success, uh, you immediately get into there's also failure. So if you don't achieve what you're aiming for, failed, then you yeah. have failed. And if you put if you put numbers on it, you can see what's a what's a an A grade, what's a B grade, what's an F grade. But even if you talk about something like faithfulness, well, how, how would I look at your dad and say <clears throat> you succeeded at being faithful or you failed at being faithful? I mean, mm-hmm. we're not talking moral failure, which is sort of the obvious unfaithful part. But right. But even how, how am I supposed to measure whether he's been faithful in fulfilling his call or in serving the community? Sure. I don't. I, I don't have that perspective. I can't. I can't gauge that. Yeah. So, so I think a lot of the conversation then needs to come back to um, what what are we trying to do um, as individuals, as families, as churches, as communities, as ministries, um, and I, and I think a lot of it just comes back to if if my goal is as 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 I read the scriptures, my goal is supposed to be to do what God asks me to do, to keep in step with the Spirit, and to be faithful in discharging. Uh, to use the talents that he's given me to discharge the responsibilities he's given me, then, then I don't need to worry about success, and I don't need to worry about whether other yeah. people uh, think of me as successful. Yeah, for me, one of the big words is grace. Like mm-hmm. when we hold on to this idea of success, I, I really think we're missing out on what grace really is, because it's it, I I see it as a matter of control, um, and so like we we want. We want control, um, and you know, I was just sharing with with Libby a little bit earlier, um, and you know, on a previous episode, talking about my my recent accident, my fall. You know, right. um, what I've learned through through that, and then my rescue on the mountain is that I had to relinquish control. Right. Like there was nothing I could do, mm-hmm. um, and and so in that, I think there's this great reminder somehow um, in embracing this idea of unsuccess that we're really, it, that there's a surrendering mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's a giving, I think a giving of ourself um, either to the mission or, you know, to something beyond ourselves to others. Right. Um, you know, the, this idea that we don't have to be successful. Right. In, in I that. think, I think that's a good link uh, between success and control. Um, I mean, you mentioned sort of the work that uh, that God was already doing, and that uh, He asked me to join here in North Portland, um, working in the corporate world, uh, making a lot of money, fantastic benefits, and then God said, "Hey, I want you to leave that mm-hmm. and start start helping the churches in North Portland to work together." And 
the small, poor no- churches in North Florida. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most of them were small and poor. Uh, maybe still are. Um, but, but I think I th- so. I think the idea of control there is really important because when God first showed me that, I thought number one, churches don't work together. So this mm. is I don't, I don't know what you're asking me to do here, God. But second was there was no way I was going to be able to come in and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Your mm. church is going to do this and your church is going to do this. I mean, I, I yeah. had no authority. I had no control. I had no yeah. ability to know. I didn't know where anything was going. All I could do is ask questions and listen and engage in the dialogue and, and pray and see what's going to happen. And uh, in a lot of ways, I suppose that's what our Christian life is supposed to be like, that it's instead of taking control of my family, taking control of my career, taking control of my whatever, mm. I need to listen, I need to follow, I need to obey. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, um, which I've heard sermons on many, many times, is uh, the parable of the talents. Where, yeah. um, and, it, and it always strikes me because almost every time that I hear somebody uh, speak on that, um, the message that comes out is to, to use your talents to be productive. Hmm. Like God has given you abilities, skills and experience and gifts. And so go out and do stuff with those. And, uh, several years ago, God took me into that passage and it really struck me that, that at the end, the master doesn't say anything about their productivity. Hmm. Right. So the one that's given five talents comes back with five more. The one that's given two comes back with two more. The one that's given one buries it in the ground and is criticized. But, uh, often, if I speak about this passage anywhere, I will read it through and I'll get to the point where the one who was given five comes in and I'll say, the one who was given five came in and said, Master, here are two more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. You know, now enter your new master's joy. And I'll start reading the second one where the guy was given two and comes back and says, Master, here's my one more. And at that point, I pause and I say, do you see what I did there? And everybody says, you changed the scripture. <laughs> I mean, you didn't read what the Bible said. I said no, but if I read that somebody's given five and they come back with five more, I'm thinking they doubled, yeah. right? You, your congregation is 40, now you're running 80. That's fantastic. You doubled in size. Mm, right. That's what I'm thinking is their productivity, but the pastor doesn't say that. He says, well done, good and faithful, faithful. servant. Uh, you have been faithful with a little. I mean, he repeats yeah. it just to make sure we don't miss it. And even the servant that buries his in the ground, the master doesn't say, hey, you should have gotten me more. He says, you wicked, lazy servant. Like, you knew I was hard. You knew you could have at least have gone to the bank. I mean, that, right. like, that's, that's the secondary thought. The first thing is, you wicked, lazy servant. Like, you don't even care. You were yeah. not faithful mm. with what I gave you. If you'd been faithful and lost it all, hallelujah. Mm. You're still being <laughs> faithful. You're doing. Yeah. You're, you're being obedient. You're being faithful to what I've given you. That's what I want. Trust me for the results yeah. because, because I can't create converts. I can't create disciples. I that's, that's, be, that's the Holy Spirit's work to come mm. in and do those things yeah. anyway. So why am I so worried about productivity? And, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to tell the story that, you know, from our first gathering as, a, as all one, we had, uh, what, seven people from four churches or something like that there. And then five years later, there were more than 40 churches participating in some way. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's fantastic, but... But I don't really care about the productivity. I right. care that the Spirit has been moving to help people come together and say, hey, how can we bless and serve our community? How yeah. can we be the body of Christ 
in our community, which is where God placed us. Yeah. yeah. The, one of the things with the thing that's what that's struck me, I guess, with the parable a bit, um, and this kind of goes a little bit with what you're saying, is the fact that the talents weren't theirs. And so when we realize that, you know, all that we have, it's it's not ours to to mess up or to right. screw up, you know, Amen. or to do better with. Um, but it, it's God's that He's in, invested, you know, with us. And right. so I like I've talked to a number of people, like the person who buried it, they're like, No, God has given us, we we don't want to lose this. And like it's not yours to lose anyway. Um, and to really, to really be able to have that perspective, I, I, I think, you know, kind of helps us in this idea of embracing unsuccess. Right. Um, and David, one of the things that I, uh, I, I really, really admire about you, um, you know, and I, I think of the the all one um, all one community services that that you founded. I of course was one of the original board members and still serve on that. Um, you know, but but it was your work that brought that together. There's still you know an amazing work, an amazing presence, um, kind of at at play. Um, community of Hope, of course, is is kind of the biggest flagship program of that. Um, just this it was last week um, we had our annual gala. Yeah. Um, raised, I learned last night that we raised uh, $65,000 and counting. But at that gala, one of the things that's, that kind of strikes me, David, I would say the majority of the people at the gala have no idea who you are. Um, that's fantastic. And, <laughs> that's, that's probably true. And, yeah. and that, <laughs> that's like, great. that's something I think that, that speaks to your character um, and, and your willingness to embrace this idea of unsuccess. Like, you started something and then just kind of let it, let it go away and, or let it go, let it grow, let, let it do whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of released complete control of that. Like, you, like, your name's not really on anything. I think every once in a while you get a, call because your phone number is still connected to something um you know but but you know few people and and, you know as north portland is changing and growing as new pastors are coming in like this i this collaboration this spirit of collaboration is still here that you help spark but then you're gone in in indiana Mm -hmm. you know and you know people new people have no idea who this david brewer guy is um Which is, is, it's awesome. I think that's something, you know, more and more of us need to kind of really embrace. Right. I mean, there's a you know, very common uh, thing in the literature about founder syndrome, right? Mm. That the, the person who starts a church or an organization or whatever, um, that it's typically very, very hard for that person to let it go. Um, it's what, even, even if they do it in name, even if they step down positionally, yeah. The people in the organization are still sort of tied to that person, yeah. and uh, I mean, God certainly made it made this transition easier by moving me halfway across the country. <laughs> I'm not still in the community, so that that's not as much of a temptation. But uh, but I, I think I made it clear from day one with all one that yeah. you know this this is not I, I didn't I didn't start a 501c3 I didn't pull together a board I didn't build a program I didn't do any of those things initially. It was. God wants me to facilitate the conversation. So mm. let's have the conversations. And after a year, year and a half, the pastors are the ones who said, okay, you need to get a 501c3 because we're going to start running programs. We need to start soliciting donations. Um, so we need, and we need something that's not under one of our churches. Yeah. So we resist, resist the temptation to say that it's 
part of this church or this church or this church, but instead it's something separate that all the churches sort of feed into. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I'm always looking to work myself out of a job. I don't, there's, there is plenty of work to be done. I don't need to hold on to whatever it is that God has me doing right now. I can, I, I can move on and he'll provide something else for me. I'm, the work, the work is not going to go away. It will always be there. So, um, so I just want to be faithful in doing what I'm doing now. Um, even, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, have you, have you always had that mindset or is that kind of a newer thing? Um, I don't know about always. I think, um, I mean, my, my early, uh, you know, you want to look up unsuccess in the dictionary, you'd probably find my early, early career. Um, <laughs> actually, unsuccess isn't a word, so it's not actually in the dictionary. <laughs> it might be now. Um, I mean, I think, uh, in my early years in the corporate world, um, I would be in a job typically for, somewhere between nine months and a year and a half. I, I never worked a job more than two years until uh, my last corporate job. And uh, early on, I thought, okay, it's because I, I, I can't stick with it, right? I don't, I don't have that gumption. Uh, my dad thought that quite a bit. Um, he'd always ask me, why are you switching jobs? Why don't you just, why don't you just get a job and stay there? You know, he was, he was from a previous generation where yeah. That's what you did. You took one job, you stayed in that company for 40 years, and then you retired and got the gold right. watch or whatever. Right. Um, you know, the world has changed. Uh, but also, I'm very different. And it, it took me about probably 10 or 12 years in the corporate world to realize that my, uh, my gift is not uh, speaking, my gift is not technology, my gift is not working with my hands and manufacturing. My, I don't have those gifts. My my gift is my mindset of thinking of systems and processes. And so, um, so I every situation I step into, I go to eat at a restaurant, and I'm observing the systems. How do, how do the waiters and waitresses work, and with the host, and what's the technology they're using, and and does everything come out quite right, and do they know exactly who ordered what? I mean, it, it's just it's the lens I view the world through. It was really helpful when I understood that about myself. And could look back on all those old jobs and realize, oh, wait a minute. So what happens is when I step into an organization, I'm thinking, how do their systems work? That's, that's what I'm naturally observing. And within a few months, I see ways that those systems could be improved, um, that I think they could be improved at least. And within a few months after that, either we start making those changes or I learn that the organization doesn't want to make changes. Well, if the organization doesn't want to make changes, it's best for everybody if I leave. You're not helpful at that right. point. Yeah, I'm yeah. not helpful. I'm just going to keep asking questions that they don't want to answer, um, and I'm going to get irritated, and I'm going to irritate them. Uh, if they want to make the changes, then we start making the changes, and within a few months or a year, we've made those changes, and it's sort of a, okay, well, my work here is done. I mean, That's true. That, that kind of would naturally put you out of a job anyway because success, in your case, means everything's fixed. Right. What, what is there to do? <laughs> and, and I become superfluous and that's, uh, uh, you know, and, and as a, as a young man, I didn't realize that's what was happening. So it was sure. very frustrating, but, uh, with a little, a little growth and maturity, um, I was able to see, Oh, wait a minute. This is, that's, that's how I know when I'm being successful is when all of a sudden I'm not needed. Um, that's interesting. Cause that's exactly what you said in that email, which was kind of a, a, shocking email when you said i'm leaving uh it, it was very long and it started you, you. you must have worked on this for a while i i imagine because it it didn't lead into i'm leaving till about 
two, three paragraphs in, if I remember right. Uh, but you spent a lot of time talking about like my, my role has always been get in, uh, figure out how to, you know, make things work together, make people work together. But I don't want to be tied to it at that point. Mm-hmm. So, so even, even with all one, it seems like that was always your mindset. Right. Yeah. In the, in the corporate world, I sort of took on the, the nickname of the 90% man. Um, because if somebody's got an idea, uh, I can take that idea, I can flush it out, I can build systems around it, I can roll out training, I can get it launched, whatever the idea is, and then tweak it a little bit to make sure it's running better. And when it gets to essentially maintenance mode, where, okay, we just need somebody to keep it going, I'm not the guy. I'm, sure. I, I, I'm not good at that, and I don't enjoy it. Um, and so nobody else enjoys it at that point either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so founder syndrome has never been a particular issue for me. Right. Um, I don't, I mean, it, the, I, I guess it's like Paul, right, where he, he writes and he says, I am so excited that you guys are carrying on. Like, yeah. I'm not there, and right. you continue to learn and grow and develop, and that's, that's what gets me excited. That was when sort I of the, his MO, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, I have a lot of friends who tell me I should become a pastor, and I'm like, well, that's, I, don't, I don't know that pastor is my call, but, but there's certainly an element of sort of the apostolic gift right. to, to the way I operate, and that's, okay, I'm fine with that. But, yeah. I mean, the most excited I get is when I get an all-one newsletter or a Community of Hope newsletter and all these things that I never even dreamed of that were never even on the radar when I was here, are, are now moving forward, and it's like yes, right. that's great. Well, it's I mean, cool. Like we our board meeting last night. Like, I remember those early board meetings. You know, like we had just enough money in the bank, like jet for like the next couple of weeks, right? Yes. Um, and as of as of now, right now, cash in the bank. We have a total of two hundred eight thousand dollars wow. cash in the bank. Um, which of course, that's all budgeted out. You know, and, right. and have full programs, but. But to think about, you know, like how far, like we've gone one month at a time. And now like we're almost like we're six, we're almost, you know, 12 months out. And of course we're just at, this is following, you know, our biggest annual fundraiser. Um, But like just to to see, to see that, you know, and, um, and you, you have, like you didn't have a part in, in the continuing to develop Mm -hmm. that, you know, like, right. Um, you were able to kind of get Linda Joe, you know, the program director. You got her on board. Got you know, you su- supported her early on, and then you know she's taken off. Then with and then with the support right. of kind of community and our current board and um, other volunteers, it's just been phenomenal to see right. you know what that's taken on, and um, and then looking to kind of continue to grow that. Right. Um, well, I think. I mean, I think that. That story touches on another part of unsuccess too, which is, I mean, when two things here. One is uh, when we were looking to hire a program director for Community of Hope, we had basically two main candidates, and one had background and skills and experience in running this kind of a transitional housing setup, and then Linda Joe, who had a heart and sort of had always wanted to do something mm-hmm. like this, but had never really done much. And we just felt like, oh, this, this is who God wants us to hire. I mean, there, there, there are strengths on both sides. There are weaknesses, and her weakness is experience. But this is where God is leading her, so, so let's hire her. And, we, I mean, we haven't looked back. That's, that's been amazing. And that, that makes me think, um, you know, the, again, I'm the anti-organization, organizational leader guy. Um, 
especially when I think about a church, because when I read the scriptures, I, I never read that the church is an organization or an institution. Yeah. I always read that the church is a body. Right. And so I think about this. Um, if I think about a congregation, uh, not even a, a, the church across a whole geographic area, but even an individual conversation, which is a body, well, if new people come into the church, I, th- I think we need to make sure that we're not thinking, oh, they're joining our church because that makes it them and us. Right, and, yeah. and they're joining an organization, which means we'll find a place for you to fit yeah. in. We, we want people who are like us already and who share our vision and things like yeah. that. But as I read the scripture, <clears throat> I think it's much more about, oh, somebody new has come in. Now our whole body is different. I mean, the, the body is made up. It's like if I get an extra, if I'm missing a limb and I get a prosthetic, it's not that the prosthetic joins my body. My whole body now adjusts based on mm-hmm. that based on that new limb, that new body part. And so that's the way I view the church also, is that new people come in, our whole body must change because we can't just say, oh, well, well, we're the church that runs the food pantry. Hmm. What if nobody's here who likes the food pantry anymore? Like, should we keep doing it? Right. Because that, that's an organizational mindset. It's a ministry, it's a fundraiser, it's a whatever. So when I think about, when I think about me leaving other pastors and leaders coming in, to North Portland, okay, what the Church of North Portland does should be different because I'm not here. So the things that I was passionate about, you guys yeah. may decide to chuck. That's right. that's fine. And the, the body is different and it should be doing what the body is called to do, even if that means, even if the most successful program is no longer something that the church is interested in, okay, then let it die. I mean, let, yeah. let it go or find somebody else to run it who's interested in running a program and instead, let's focus on what the Holy Spirit is doing in yeah. our body. The, there's some irony there, too. Like, you know, one of the first things for you, you know, the first kind of case study was the food pantry. Hmm. Like, that was something that you saw, you know, a couple churches kind of doing and some people in the community as well doing. You're like, man, we could be way more effective at the food distribution. And ironically, like... We've never done that. Like the, <laughs> we've never right. had this collaborative food pantry. Thanks for rubbing that in, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like at, it's interesting because that becomes the spark. But you know, as you begin to kind of talk with people and facilitate things, like you, it just you just have to let things kind of grow. And and again, right. that's just that control thing of of you know letting go of the control and and the discernment of really right. listening to you know where god is at work and where other people where their hearts is you know and right. and as new people come in they're of course going to have different um different values different ideas right. um and so being flexible in that rather than you know had you held on so tightly to this idea like mm-hmm. no we're going to bring everybody together you know to right. have this efficient food program um you know we probably would have had a different outcome Definitely. And you, you can see that with Community of Hope, too, where I hadn't even thought about this before, but uh, there were initially uh, five pastors who yeah. had the vision for Community of Hope. Yeah. And I think about those five churches, yep. and I don't know that any of those five churches really have much stake in Community of Hope. I mean, there might be a volunteer kind of here and there, right. but they're not the leading churches behind Community of Hope anymore. <laughs> I mean, if you've got Red Sea who's leasing the... the of course, the but Red Sea was not part of the initial conversation. Oh man! It was Northminster Presbyterian, Rivergate, Grace, uh-huh. St. John's All Nations, yep. and a fifth one, which we'll edit in later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I can't remember who the... I can't remember who the other person was in the room. Interesting. But, I mean, none of those four are... I mean, they're not... I right. don't get the impression they're the flag bearers. They're, no, they're, not. Uh, they're definitely all supportive, you know, of course, <laughs> right. you know, and, um, and, you know, help out in different ways. But yeah, for sure. Like they've, they planted the seed, you know, and, uh, yep. Wow. That's going. interesting. Yeah. Sometimes God gives us an idea and we're not, you know, what, what is it? Faith is planting a tree under whose shade you'll never sit. Hmm. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So, so, um, can you both actually, cause you were both there, uh, tell me about uh, sort of how, how, all one came about. We've been teasing it a little bit. Like what were those early couple of years like? Cause I came in maybe three and a half, four years ago and you were about to leave all one had, or at least ministry gatherings had been a thing for some years, like five years by that point. Uh, what were those early couple of years? Like you, you said you can't just come in and, and tell everyone what to do. But getting a group of pastors who up to that point, I imagine, were just sort of doing their own thing Mm -hmm. in their own pockets. I mean, what was that like? Well, I'll share my perspective and then Josh would probably have a different angle on it. Um, I mean, while I was still working in the corporate world, I felt like God asked me to see if the churches wanted to work together. And so I was still working full time. So I met with individual pastors and said, I feel like this is a vision God's given, but this doesn't make sense because churches don't work together. And all of them said, that's exactly what we need. I mean, they said, we've, we've had experiences in the past, and there, uh, there have been groups meeting for years, groups of pastors meeting for years, and praying together, and sort of talking about what, what could we do, what is God doing. Um, and then there had been individual efforts. There had been a couple of revival um, series uh, bouncing around different churches. There had been, um, uh, apparently, there had been a number of efforts where somebody would have a big event, a church or a local mm. nonprofit would have a big event and talk about all these great ways we could work together. And then at the end, they'd say something like, so we have our VBS next week. So it'd be great if you'd all come help with that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's sort of a bait and switch when people do that, right? right. Like, we should all work together. And here's all the things we're doing that you should work with us yes. on. Yep. Um, and forget you if you've got your own stuff. It, it, yeah. it feels bait and switchy. Yes. And, and that was a concern that I heard in talking to some pastors initially was, We'd, we'd, many of us are hesitant <laughs> to right. step in again until we know something real is going to happen here. And so, um, so I was doing pretty much just a couple hours a week talking with people and then pulled together a big, I did a big kickoff, rented the community center, yep. uh, gym, had it catered, decorations and everything. And that's the one where we had seven people from four churches. Um, nice. so, I was one. <laughs> yeah. So a yep. lot of a lot of people went home with a lot of leftovers. <laughs> uh, actually, we donated them to a uh, uh, local homeless shelter. Oh, cool. Um, so that that worked out okay, but it sort of hurt the initial budget. Um, yeah. And and that I mean one of the things that taught me was okay I, I need to not be like these other folks who came in with a big hullabaloo. I'm just gonna and I would tell pastors initially it's like okay every month I'm going to email you uh, call you send you a postcard about our ministry gathering, and it's likely I'll probably try and drop by and, uh, and visit. Um, and if you don't want that, then tell me now, because otherwise I will keep pestering you. Like, I mean, just I'll, I'll just keep doing it. And um, so that first year, uh, we did ministry gatherings every three months, every quarter, because I was still working full-time. And then it started to catch on. Like that first one, we had four churches by the end of 
our third one, six months later, uh, we had, I think there were 10 churches at that one, representatives from 10 churches. And I was like, hey, this is catching on. Like people are, and, and each time we'd gather, we'd just have a conversation. What are, what are some needs that you see in the community? Okay, let's talk about that. Who else is already meeting those needs? What are the resources that are already out there? So, the, you know, the initial rule was we're not talking theology. We're not talking polity. We're not talking about the things that separate us. We're mm-hmm. talking about God has placed us all here for whatever reason. What are the needs in the community? Who's meeting them? What could or should we do together? And getting to know each other, because a lot of the pastors did know each other sort of, but hadn't really spent much time together. So, so that was the first several months. And then it started to catch on. And uh, so I went part-time in my corporate job. And then we started doing, so I was doing four days a week corporate, which meant one day a week I was doing all one stuff. And so it was, okay, let's, let's meet monthly. And I'd go around and try and meet with pastors individually and talk to them quite a bit. And uh, over and over again, people just said, hey, this is great. I appreciate the conversations. And probably about halfway through, that would have been 2011. Uh, let's see, nine was our first gathering. Probably about halfway to, through 2010 is when the pastor started saying, okay, these conversations have been fantastic, but we need to do something. Like, we need to start putting some feet to this. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what are we going to talk about? And, that, and housing was the first thing that was brought up. Um, so the uh, pastors of five churches who were most interested in that, we gathered separately and started having conversations about what kind of thing. And simultaneously with that, then people had learned about compassion connect and these compassion clinics, free healthcare and everything like that. And everybody's like, we can totally get behind that. Um, so a whole bunch of us started, uh, started meeting yeah. to talk about that at the same time. And so by the time I was done in the corporate world, uh, started 2011, I mean, we were already rolling with trying to move those efforts forward. Um, and, but the conversations continued. It, it wasn't, we always wanted to make sure the ministry gatherings weren't just a report out on activities, but that there was substantive time to pray together and talk about issues, things that are going on, um, and, uh, and opportunities. We don't all know about opportunities. So one of the things I loved about those initial gatherings is that each one was hosted by a different church. Yeah. Um, so the churches that you drive by all the time and you always kind of think, I wonder what's going on in there and, and what that building looks like and whatever. Okay. We'd gather in the building and the host pastor would get a chance to share for five minutes about the history of the church. We'd take a building tour usually and people could ask questions and, oh, I didn't know you had one of those in here. That, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you guys were doing a food pantry too. So start to make some of these connections yeah. relationally yeah. And, uh, and corporately. So, so that, those are the first couple of years from my perspective. That's the thing that uh, is, uh, was really eye-opening to me and I don't know why I never thought of it earlier, but when I got here, uh, early on I heard about um, all one in the ministry gatherings. And one of the great benefits that people found from it was, oh, crap, a lot of us are doing the same thing, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yep. And, and that's what they realized. And I thought back to all the churches I've ever been a part of, and, I mean, a lot of us were doing the same stuff. Right. And, and some of it can be done, you know, between churches. Right on a bigger scale or better or yeah. more effectively and, right. you know, disagreements aside with the churches, uh, it can, it can be done very, very well. So. Yeah. Yep. And the corporate world, a common phrase is, uh, 
at least during my time there was uh it's amazing how much can get done when nobody cares who gets the credit right <laughs> and so if you're right. if you're willing to hey we got five food pantries within a three block radius we can combine them or we could we could keep them separate for a reason but each of us does a different day mm-hmm. different yeah. day of the week or different times to meet people who are working a third shift or a second shift or, right. or whatever i mean there there are lots of ways to approach that as long as you're willing to just say Let's think about it. Let's, yeah. let's see how this happens. Yeah. Of course, the food pantry coordination is not well, happening, that's, apparently. That's one thing Josh told me uh, on week one that I was here. He said, you're going to find there's like this lack of competition here between mm. the churches. And that's one thing I found that's been so, so great. And something I, I don't think I've even still ever seen elsewhere. And I'm sure, you know... It, it happens all over the place. But there's always like this desire, well, you know, we love what they're doing, but I'd love if these people kind of came to our place and did our thing. And um, here, people get mad and leave your church and you you can without, the hurt will be there, but um, Without any kind of like anger or anything, you can recommend other places right. and people bounce around to other churches of ours. Kelly told me from Grace, uh, I keep sending people to you. <laughs> they keep leaving me. So there's just like this funnel happening. And right. then uh, some of mine went to Chad's or uh, one of ours went to um, the building on pheasant like there's there's not this we need to hold on to our people and our our right. space is more important than your space here right. i've, I've had this really like. it's probably more of a socialist idea um <laughs> but i thought it'd be interesting you know if the pastors maybe every couple years we all got together and we had a draft <laughs> just you know just this leveling of the playing field right. you know, every couple right. years of, yeah, let me know how that works for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Stuart, who's, you know, uh, pastored in the community for uh, 20 years or whatever it was, uh, I sat down with him for a one-on-one uh, near the end of my time here in North Portland and said, so there are like a lot of church plants. Like all of a sudden, they're, yeah. all the denominations are sending somebody to plant a church here in North Portland. And I was like, your church is really small, Stuart. I mean, how do you how do you feel about that? Hmm. And uh, his answer, I thought, was just fantastic. He yeah. said, "He said I love it." I said, "Well, what do, what do you mean you love it?" And he said, "It's life. It, it means that God is doing something here. The fact that He is sending people into the community to plant churches. He's like, I don't really care if they come to my church. I want the kingdom to grow." Yeah. It's like, yes, Stuart. Uh, just an inspiration. That's great. Yep. That's great. He, he understands success. He had a he had a big shift. He talked on our podcast recently, and he said. Um, that God had to really beat into him this idea that um, he, he was really broken down early on because he said, in his words, he was preaching to benches. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there weren't a lot of people, and mm-hmm. God had to really thump into him like, well, it was I, that I put these couple of people here for you in this moment yeah. right now. It right. was the, the um, oh, the guest speaker that he, he asked. He invited somebody to come in, and he said, Stuart, I, I can't preach to benches. Right. Um, and it's like, well, if it's one person, you know, that, right. that's enough. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh. so my, my experience talking about me now, uh, <laughs> cause I love to do that. Uh, I think back in those early days of all one, um, I heard there were people getting together and I wanted in, <laughs> um, 
like that. I don't know. I, that is I, not surprising to me somehow. <laughs> that's, that's right. Anybody who knows me, somebody told me just recently, they're like, Josh, you are the most social person I know. And I can think of a few people who are more social than me, but um, definitely I love, I love people. And so that for me, that definitely was the first drawing point. Like, right. Oh, other people like-minded I'm in. Like I want to, I, I right. just to kind of rub shoulders with that. And um, for me, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's a generational thing that, that we're experiencing, you know, or kind of a shift in my mind. Um, but this idea of collaboration, I don't know, just made total sense to right. me. I'm like, I don't know if I hadn't really thought about it before or, you know, my experience definitely in the 90s, the late 90s in North Portland, there's this thing called the North Watch and we'd get together, all the number of churches get together for worship worship service the last Sunday night of every month. Um, and I... I love that. I valued that. I had great friends. I'm coming from a Wesleyan, more Methodist stream. Um, but then I had great friends who were Southern Baptists, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't care about the differences. I mean, like we were young enough. I was a teenager at that point. Um, and then, you know, made friends with the the Presbyterian youth group. And like, this is, this is cool. We're just right. one big family. And, and so I really valued that from early on. Um, and then, you know, given the opportunity I'm like, yeah, I, I want in on that. I, right. I want to kind of collaborate on that. And um, one of the things that, that has, has struck me, and I think, you know, the, the interesting thing in North Portland that we've seen um, is we've seen churches actually minister together. Right. And that I, I see a big difference between collaboration and partnership. Like mm-hmm. partnership, you're walking side by side and you still have, you know, very kind of separate, very black and white, you know, things. Mm-hmm. But in collaboration, I've, I see collaboration is more messy, you know, like mm-hmm. um, you're, you're, you're kind of getting intimate a little bit with each other and it's, it's unclear where the line stops mm-hmm. or where the line starts and stops, you know, and so there's a lot of gray area, you know, but, but there's a beauty there because it's the, the co- there's a common purpose, you know, right. that, that we're going for. I remember kind of earlier on, in, you know, in this whole experience with all one, I think after all one is kind of being formed, I told our church at, at the annual meeting, I said, I don't want to do any outreach efforts that is not collaborative in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw it, I mean, somewhat selfishly as, um, you know, to do things ourselves is a lot, a lot of work. Right. First off, and like, wow, if David's church over there is doing this, let's just show up because <laughs> it's a lot easier to show up and help them than it is to like go through the whole planning process right. and doing an event or something. Um, and so I've really tried to kind of try to instill that DNA in our congregation. And I've mm-hmm. seen that DNA, you know, as the more that we've worked together, there really is this camaraderie, this ministry together. Right rather than like this partnership of, of like, okay, you do your thing, I do my thing, where they overlap, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of really that we are all truly on the same team and that we're right. working, you know, to the same end. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, that, there's a lot in the literature about the difference between collaboration and partnership, where collaboration is usually the work that happens and partnership is the... Relationship. The, yeah, the relationship part. Um and I mean, I think we saw uh, even early on in the ministry gatherings. I mean, there were some pastors who were chomping at the bit to do stuff together. Yeah. I mean, they're, let's let's work, let's go, yeah. let's do stuff. And others would have been fine if we just had coffee every day for five years. Um, uh, so having both of those, and I think you know that's 
like I said, I'm a systems and process guy. Um, so I don't know that a systems and process person has to be the person to bring churches together. But with the mix that we had of really very strong relational people and very strong task-oriented people, I think a process guy made sense. I mean, that, that was the right fit at that time to get yeah. the people who love relationship working side by side and relating side by side with the people who are task oriented. And I think, uh, you know, God, God makes us all different for a reason. Right. And if we don't take the time to hear each other's stories and that I, I said earlier in those early gatherings, like the number one rule was we're not talking theology. What was really cool to me was within a couple of years, um, we usually start our ministry gathering with 10, 15, 20 minutes of free time, you know, grab the snacks and, uh, and just, just hang out. And within a couple of years, invariably I'd hear people talking about theology yeah. and polity, but it was because they already knew each other. Yeah. They had a relationship. And so now the question was, it wasn't a, Oh, well you do this. So you're wrong. It was a, Hey, so I've been thinking about this, about, you know, how we baptize or how we, how we do discipleship. And so, you know, tell me more about that. Or why do you have this in your denomination? And, and, but we do it this way. And it was very much a learning and a listening to each other. And it's like, this is, if we can create space for these kinds of relationships to build first, then they result in healthy dialogue. And then it's, then it's not threatening. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I, I, there's amazing, had a lot of conversations around that you know and and there's some that stand out in my mind but you know one of the best is just having having real conversations about communion with roman catholic like Mm, um, charlie fraga you know i've i've talked in depth with him you know and it's like and it's not this i'm right you're wrong but Mm -hmm. like i'm I'm curious like let's learn together you know and the different expressions of of faith right um is 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 beautiful. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, I, and but you don't get there unless there's some trust in the relationship. Right. Um, oh yeah. And I, I've, I think I'm right about this. I'm definitely right in my own life. But I think <laughs> pastors, just in general, have sort of a lack of trust early on because we, you get in trouble by saying the wrong thing to the wrong person mm-hmm. or 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 whatever or. Or you you know that certain things said to certain people will offend or or whatever, right. and so there's definitely a barrier there without a mm-hmm. um, relationship and an understanding that I can say something to you and you can say something to me and we'll be okay. Right. And, yeah. And so, um, well, we only have a, a few more minutes. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, if you can, about uh, what's going on in Indianapolis? Hmm. Well. So God is doing some similar things in Indianapolis. Um, I haven't, uh, because our family moved cross country and um, my wife and I are helping lead a nonprofit that helps groups of people around the world start their own sustainable businesses. That's headquartered in Indianapolis. So with moving cross country and then sort of jumping a little further into that, um, I have not gotten involved a lot in the church collaboration work. Mm-hmm which is kind of sad. Um, but at the same time we have seasons and, um, what, uh, what we've been working on is uh, community building in a very interesting neighborhood. Um, we, we wanted a neighborhood that was, uh, sort of down, but bouncing back. Uh, so we, we wanted to be part of a revitalization effort, uh, in a community, not just an economic development, 
but also a rebuilding a sense of community and a sense of place. And so uh, we bought half a duplex and uh, within probably six to nine months uh, after we moved in, uh, the neighborhood hit gentrification phase really fast. And so uh, lots of new builds, lots of remodels, uh, homes that uh, average home price in the neighborhood was probably fifty to 75000 uh, when we moved in, and now most of the new homes being built are between four and 700000 Whoa. So within about a two-year span, oh, it just man. it's just exploded. And so... Um, it's like deja vu a little bit. So, yeah. 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 More, more, even more extreme. Um, uh, but the, so, I mean, two interesting things there. So, um, Josh, you'd asked earlier if I could make sure to include. So when we, when we left North Portland, uh, home prices had started uh, going up pretty rapidly here. Um, and we had some really interesting conversations with our realtor because, um, Initially, we said, oh, what, what should we fix before we put the house on the market? And she gave us this long list. And so we started working through this list. And we talked to her like three months later. And she's like, okay, don't, don't worry about fixing the big things. Home prices are going up so fast. The, the market is hot. You don't need to fix all the big things. And then we talked to her again three months later. And she's like, just stop working on your house. Like, just list it as is, and it'll sell rapidly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we got ready to list, we said, okay, well, one of the things we want when people make an offer, we want them to write a letter about why they want this house and why they want to live in this community. And she was like, I'm, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> and we said, well, We've never had we, that before. We don't, yeah, we, we don't want to just sell the house for the maximum price. We want to, we, we love our neighbors. And so we want to hand the house off to somebody who wants to be a neighbor, who wants to be part of this community. And she was like, uh, okay. So we listed our house and things were really hot. So we got like five offers the first weekend. And one of the offers had an escalator clause. You know, I'll, I'll pay a thousand more than your highest bid up to a certain, up to a certain level. So we, we read through the letters. We looked at the offers, talked through them with the realtor. We read through the letters and uh, Rose and I talked about it. And uh, we decided that we wanted to sell the home to the third highest offer. And uh, the realtor was like, okay, so wait a minute here. So, so like you could make a lot more money selling to this highest bidder. And we're like, well, you know, but they're, and she's like, okay, there are some concerns possibly about their financing. She's like, but the second one, you take the second one and, and uh, kick in the escalator clause and you can, you can sell for quite a bit more. And we're like, no, we, we want to sell to the third person. Well, at least kick in the escalator. And we said, <laughs> no, we want the person to be able to move in and like live here. Like, mm to not be strapped making the mortgage payment every month. And we went round and round with the realtor for several conversations. And finally she's like, I don't understand you guys, but, (laughs) and then something, something came up like, you know, they did the inspection and we had to fix something and the realtor's like, see, I told you you should have taken more money. We said, we're fine with this. We're, we're fine spending because our value is community. We, we want somebody who's going to be part of the community. So we looked at all these houses in Indianapolis and, um, the house we settled on, uh, we looked at all the old houses. We wanted the built-ins and the, you know, all the all the cool old character. Yeah. And uh, we ended up settling on a 2012 build um, <laughs> with it's very modern, uh, bamboo floors, clean lines, everything like wow. that. And the realtor was <laughs> like, "I wasn't even going to show you this house because, <laughs> because it's nothing like what we looked at." And we didn't really know exactly why. God was taking us there. But what we found out is the other half of the duplex 
the guy used to be a pastor and resigned as a pastor to move into the neighborhood and uh, direct an intern program at a community center. <laughs> and the other, uh, there's another duplex just north of us. And uh, one of those couples is uh, very much into hospitality and having like supper clubs and people in their house all the time. And the other when the woman works in a reentry program, uh, helping uh, ex-felons reintegrate into society while the guy is a, got his master's in urban design with a focus on city revitalization. <laughs> and so it's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no, there are no fences among our four backyards. Oh, so awesome. all the so each house has two kids, and they're always out in the backyard oh, just running back and forth between these yards. I mean, the, Speaking this, of someone with kids, that's amazing for them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Four long backyards. Yes. And so they're always out there interacting. And uh, I mean, God gave us the community that we wanted, uh, even though the house doesn't look the way we want it. And so we've been able to use that as kind of a launching pad. Uh, we have monthly uh, neighbor dinners, um, and we've started inviting a lot of other neighbors, especially the, the new people. So I got to tell this story. So in January, we were driving home from church. I was approaching a green light, so I was proceeding through, and a car came zooming from the right-hand side, uh, didn't stop at the at their red light, just came right on through, ended up uh, smashing right into them. Oh, and uh, so we pulled off, and we started to have this conversation, and um, she stepped out of the car, and she was like seven and a half months pregnant. Oh, my um, So we've got all these concerns, and she's like, I totally ran the light. It was my fault. I wasn't paying attention, and... As we were waiting for the police to come for the police report, uh, we found out they moved in a couple months before that, like four blocks away from us. So I said, well, this might sound kind of weird, but after this accident stuff's done, you guys want to come over for dinner? <laughs> and so they came over for dinner. They said yes. So they came over for dinner, and they are now part of our monthly neighbor dinners, and we have monthly game nights. Like, they've said, we didn't, we have not had in this, this kind of community in a long time. And it was really good. It was really healthy for us because they're some of the rich white suburbanites moving into our neighborhood yeah. um, that we no, we want to maintain the, the diversity and the people mm. who've been here a long time and all this. But the people moving in are just looking for a place to live that they can raise their families. And so, yeah. so we need to love them and be about community as well. So it's in a lot of ways, it's, it's what I did with churches here. We're working hard to do with neighbors mm. in Indianapolis. So it's the same, same kind of stuff. It's really glorious. It's there's always in life, there's this balance, like this tension where you've got to hold the old and the new together, you know, oh, yeah. like, and I think coming back to, um, oh, coming back to the, the food pantries, you know, like there's this inevitability, you know, at some point where it's like, ah, just, just hold the, um, you know, hold, hold it. Um, just hold, hold the food pantry there, you know, just kind of, right. Kind of let it be. Um, and, uh, <laughs> we'll edit this out. You come in, come in Madison. And come on in. How are you? Good, how are you? We're, we're, we're almost done. You want to be on the podcast? Sounds good. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so yeah, you know, in in life, there's this tension that we have to hold. We have to hold the old and the new. Um, and coming back to this idea, um, oh, just with the food pantries, there's this bit where instead of forcing that, you know, we just right. kind of hold it loosely and say, well, 
maybe it's okay to have a, a bunch of small, ineffective food pantries, you know, but then let's also embrace the idea that like, let's be effective in our housing program, you right. know, or, or something sure. like there's, there's not a one size fits all, no. you know? And so gentrification is a huge issue. You know, like that, I think there's a call for us to, to speak out against some of that, mm-hmm. but then we definitely have to embrace those new people coming in. Like, yes. like we're all people, we're all part of this big family, you know? Yeah. And so how can we, how can we cross lines? How can we, um, you know, Oh, step down from our kind of high horse and, uh, right. and really, really love others, yeah. you know, and bring about that greater sense of community that I think, right. I think if we're all honest, we all really, truly want that like, oh, yeah. there's this longing for that um right. but it's we it, get so fearful and every time it changes right yeah I mean, yeah it needs to look the way it's always looked or the way it has mm. always looked to me um instead of saying oh it, it could be different and that might be better or it might just mm. be different but that's okay because okay. a community yeah. is a community it's made up of the people who live there so that's good yeah yeah well, thanks so much, David, for coming on. Um, do you have anything you want to um, plug, talk about, anything that's happening? Um, well, I'm working on a book about vocation. Um, don't look forward in the bookstores just yet, um, <laughs> but uh, about vocation and calling, um, starting with mm. the theology of work and then working through sort of some of the traps uh, that we can fall into, cultural traps and uh, Christian traps and ministry traps and other types of things. So... I can uh, I can let you guys know when that's all right. Yeah, please do. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Awesome. Well, we thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, um, for you can you can find us. Continue talking to us online on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, nowhere else because <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm old and that's all I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David and I'm Josh, and we will see you next time.